Um, just let me know. Okay, perfect. <clears throat> like to welcome everybody back to Alabama Care. Today we are going to be talking about federal and state legislation with Dr. Graham Sisson, the Executive Director, the Governor's Office on Disability. And at this point, I'd like to hand it over, Dr. Sisson, if you would introduce All yourself. Right, Alex, uh, thank you for the introduction. As you stated, I am Executive Director of the Governor's Office on Disability. I'm also a a uh, Deputy Attorney General with the Alabama Department of Rehabilitation Services, and I serve as the state's Americans with Disabilities Act coordinator. Um, and I, I, I love the opportunity today to tell you a little bit about legislation, how important it is, give you examples of different types of legislation, um, describe how the Alabama legislature works, and, and why it's important, and who legislators are, and why it's important to develop relationships with them. So when you're ready, I can go into a little bit more detail. Yeah, and I think it's important. And when I was younger, I wasn't very involved in uh, elections or voting, uh, and I actually didn't vote for most of my youth when I was able to. And now that I'm starting to get older, I'm realizing the importance of being involved in your local government, whether that's your local township or, <clears throat> you know, we have some elections coming up in Alabama at the end of May. That's right. Um, but I'm starting to realize the importance of, of the election and, and getting your voice out um, and, and who you elect there. Before we kind of dig into that, I'd like to do a little bit of background on the Governor's Office on Disability. If anyone's unfamiliar with that, sure. what, what exactly is that sure. entity? It was originally created in 1998 by an executive order of the, of the governor at that time. Uh, and I have the privilege of assuming the, the role of executive director of the Governor's Office on Disability in October 2007. And the Governor's Office on Disability has two primary purposes. One is to be a liaison to the Governor and the Governor's Office on Disability Issues in Alabama. The office does not do Social Security Disability, even though that's in our name. That's a federal program. We're a state program. But being a liaison to the Governor and the Governor's Office means if there's disability issues, a constituent with a disability comes to my office, I relay that information to the governor and I help, I help the constituent try to get resolution to any issues that they have. But also, if the, the governor's office can come to me or the governor with disability issues and, help, and I help uh, work on them too. And we report the unmet needs of people with disabilities across the state of Alabama every year to the governor. We issue an annual report every year, and it, uh, that's highlighted in the annual report. But the Governor's Office on Disability, think of it as this, it is the, I'm the point person in the Governor's Office on Disability Issues. And uh, I make it my business to know what the state offers as far as disability services, also to make contact in different state agencies. So if somebody has an issue with state agency, I build a relationship with that state agency and get them to the right person. There's nothing worse than somebody contacting the state government and they keep getting referred to a different person. You know, one I had a person one time told me that they had been referred to eight different sources. Yeah, they contacted me and I got them to the right resource the first time. And that can be really frustrating for individuals or families that are looking for answers and they're not sure how to navigate or who to call or even the jargon to use in that conversation to get their communication across. And I think it's really important to understand that <clears throat> our representatives, our governor, uh, our local representatives, they want to support their constituents. A lot of times it's 
they may not know everything. And so a lot of our advocacy in the community, I feel, is a lot of educating, uh, educating you know, representatives on what's going on in the community and what's important there. Now, do other states also have um, the governor's office on disability, or is this unique to Alabama? I think other states do, but they, uh, depending on budget issues, I know a lot of them were closed down. Uh, some have come back. I would say that not every state has a governor's office on disability, but there are, you know, there are several that do. Um, and I'd like to talk a little bit about, so we just had the Alabama legislative session. Is that currently still in session? No, they, they are, they, they finished the second week. Uh, in April so. and, and they get together every year <clears throat> and that's um, between February and April there that's right well and it's different I mean the legislature there's something called quadrennium okay never heard quadrennium that is four years okay quad meaning four well you have the beginning of the quadrennium the first year and you have the the fourth year the last quadrennium but normally the uh, legislature meets for 105 legislative days. It's not 105 days in a row. They have, they have to meet for a minimum of 30 days, a maximum of 105. And so the, the legislative calendar works like this. Every week, normally they meet three days a week out of every week. And one of those days is a committee meeting day, usually on Wednesdays. Um, and again, they usually meet Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. Uh, and if you wanted to access information on Alabama, just Google Alabama legislature. And, uh, and again, they convene in regular sessions on the first Tuesday in February, except um, in the first year of the four-year term, what I mentioned before is quadrennium, when the session begins on the first Tuesday in March, okay? Okay. And uh, this time we, they began in January because it was the last year of the quadrennium, okay? So you just have to know which year of the quadrennium it is, but usually they're gonna meet, they're gonna again meeting in January or February. Now for and, um, oh, go ahead, I'm sorry. And so in this year, because this is an election year, mm -hmm. they met quicker, okay? Because they wanna get back on the election trail. That's true. You, know, you mentioned that the, the May 24th, the May 24th date is, the primary and people say what's a primary the primary is when each political party picks their candidates to run in the general election so you have the democratic party and you have the republican party primaries and the the uh the parties set the rules for the primaries each party sets their own rules yes yes but the state runs the election okay mm -hmm. um, and i have the privilege of serving as a chief poll inspector in the state of alabama and for my box in birmingham which is the avondale elementary school and i've been doing that for over 20 years so i help conduct the election help set up the polling place make sure that that is run totally above board there's a lot of rules you have to follow so that's a whole nother probably session to describe that i won't yeah, go any more detail than that because so. i feel like that's a hot topic from previous elections recently in the mm -hmm. united states and so i feel like we could spend a whole broadcast on that we won't dive into that today um <clears throat> now it used to be back in the day that a lot of the representatives that was not their full-time job they were farmers and then they would go um you know and be senators or legislators in dc mm -hmm. do you feel like today um even here at the state level that it is kind of a full-time job i think it is full-time job but legislators do have 
their paying jobs. I mean, they get paid to, to attend legislative sessions, but again, that's not their major job. Mm -hmm. It is, still is a, quote, part-time legislature. They spend a lot of time doing committee meetings. They spend a lot of time working on issues between sessions of the legislature. Sometimes there's a special session called by the governor to address an issue outside of the regular legislative session. So that might be where that job becomes less part-time and more full-time, depending on what's happening in the state. Yeah, and we want them to, to be good legislators and they need to be compensated for their time there. I agree with that. Now, during this last legislative session, um, or, or let's kind of go back to the primaries because a lot of people will think, oh, the elections, the big elections don't matter until November. Uh, that's when we need to vote. But you need, actually need to get out now during the primaries to make sure the candidates that you want to see on the ballot in November are there so you can vote for them. That's correct. That's correct. And sometimes there is a runoff election. What is it, that? What is a that? runoff is when neither candidate gets the majority of the votes. Okay. And, and so what happens, they do a runoff election. That's usually in July or June. Um, we, we've had two parties for a very long time. Um, when we were originally founded, there were many parties uh, the United States of America. Do you think a third party will start to come back into play eventually? I don't know. There's been talks. You know, the last third party I remember is uh, Teddy Roosevelt's Bull Moose Party. Okay, I've heard you know, it, but I'm not. And he didn't win. He didn't win the election. But yeah, there have been green parties, you know, environmental parties that have, that have organized a third political party. Uh, Ralph Nader, you remember when he, when Al Gore ran for president, and uh, uh, Ralph Nader was also a candidate. And I think the uh, they said that he spoiled the election for Gore because he took votes away. So I hear that all the political time. Political parties, third parties, they. They have not been successful. I mean, some some of them, depending on where you're coming from, you know, some people agree with them. So, without getting political, I just wanted to give you the nonpartisan answer there. Yeah, because I feel like with the two parties, it becomes so polarizing. So, I, you know, I think a third party or multiple options would be a good thing. But we go through those primaries, and you hear, well, the, the third party is going to steal the vote, so you can't do yeah. that and vote for them. Well, the main thing is to make sure we have safe, secure elections mm. and to make sure that every vote counts. And, and people say, why vote? Every vote counts. We're like a one man, one vote country, or we say one person, one vote country. And elections are very close. A lot of elections are very close. It's mm -hmm. come down to, to very small number of votes. So remember, don't say, why well, it won't matter anyway. Well. You have no right to complain about the results if you don't vote in. You there. just stole that one. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, you're good. That was a great line. My grandparents used to tell me that all the time. They're like, you cannot complain because you didn't vote. <laughs> so. That's right. It, it is very important in our country for everybody to vote. And our legislators, and when you're going to ask a question in the future, just give a little bit of foreshadowing. They represent us. Yeah. If we don't have contact with them, how do they know what the needs of the people they represent? We're a representative form of government. Your voice needs to be heard by these representatives so they know how to properly uh, represent you at that level. Absolutely. Now, during the last legislative session that we just got done, what are some important disability-related discussions that have happened this past year? Well, well let, me, let me get to my notes here. Actually, I've got several things. Um, yes, sir. 
the uh, use of the the main thing the le legislative session two things they have to do are pass both the general fund budget and the education trust fund budget so those that that's the main stuff and they have like a special order calendar where it has to be on that calendar to get a vote um, but things that I noticed that um, that I've been tracking, there were some disability-related discussions during the 2022 session. One included the Colby Act, and uh, and that's the he's a, he's a man with autism, and he's an adult. And right now, a lot of folks with significant disabilities get put into guardianships. And when there's a guardian, the person for which the guardianship is is done doesn't have any control of their lives. The guardian makes all the decisions in your life. Now, you want something that's less restrictive than that, there's something called supported decision-making, that's or SDM. SDM allows the person with significant disability to build a team. They can have different experts on their team that advise them on different, different aspects of life. One might be employment, one could be where they're gonna live, and issues like that. So that was one that's very important. I'm not sure the Colby Act, I don't think it passed this time. Uh, then there was another act, Act 2022-202, which uh, establishes consistency in the process of commitment for persons with mental illness. Yeah. And mental illness, for many years, uh, we're trying to make sure that mental illness is treated on the same level as physical illness. And so this law established consistency. I don't have the details, but I know that a significant piece of legislation. Then there's something else. A lot of people with, who are elderly will qualify as people with disabilities. There's something called elder abuse. This year, there was an act, 2022-161, which established an elder abuse registry. There's also a voting rights uh, legislation HB 239 which would prohibit poll watchers from assisting an individual with voting. You always say wait a minute you're restricting the rights of people with disabilities to get assistance but poll watchers are not poll officials they're hired by the political parties or the candidates to watch the polls to make sure there's no shenanigans or any fraud. Yeah. See? So you don't want somebody that represents a candidate to be helping voters. So I yeah. think that was a very good piece of legislation. Just to be clear on that, that's not saying that you can't have an interpreter come in with you and help you fill out a ballot. Right, it's not saying that. But, but um, and, and of course, the if you have folks that help you fill out, bullet, fill out a ballot, there's a place for, the, for us to, as poll officials to mark that you received assistance. Okay. Um, and I know that we're using now iPads, at least in Jefferson County, to check people in. It used to be you had to sign something. Yep. Now with these iPads, you sign on the iPad. So it's, a bit, it's gotten a lot more sophisticated technologically. That's what I do when I go to vote. I have to give my ID and then they pull it up on the iPad and then I have to sign the iPad and then I get my, my paper form of the ballot and then I go and cast right. my vote. It prints out a little ticket for you yep. to then bring to the poll the people handling the actual ballots, mm -hmm. you give them your ticket, you get a ballot. And that ensures that it is one person, one vote. So, And then of course there was a 2022-129, which would define orthosis to include custom fitted off the shelf orthotic device. It would amend a particular code. And that, 
that helps people, you know, with amputations, people that need orthotics. So uh, again, uh, next year, and again, this is probably one of your questions about what kind, of, I'm already looking to the next legislative session. Mm -hmm. um, I'm not a lobbyist, but I try to, the governor's office on disability tries to track legislation. Then when constituents come with us with an issue that we think legislation can handle, we try to give constituents information on how they might get a piece of legislation introduced to address that problem. And one issue that is consistently an unmet need for people with disabilities across the state of Alabama is employment. Mm. And so we want to have a state tax credit for employers that hire people with disabilities. Now, there is a federal tax credit currently. Yes, work opportunity tax credit, yes. Yes, and just for any employer that's listening that may not be familiar with that, what is the, the overall theme of that tax credit? Well, it gives them, for, for certain size employers, it gives money back to the employer in, in the terms of credit. A credit is a dollar for, it is actually a dollar for dollar um, reduction in, in taxes. And I think that's maybe up to the $10,000 or something like that, uh, where it's not taxable, you get that. I think it's up to 6,000, but, but okay. we're trying to get the amount increased. There's legislation on the books, federal le level that I will describe later if you'll ask me that. Yes, sir. That we would try to track this in, the federal legislation with the state legislation. The idea is to get more people with disabilities covered by the state tax credit. Now, do, are, yeah. are there other states in the country that have a state tax credit? I think there are, yes. Okay. And there's a group called the State Exchange on Employment and Disabilities and the uh, Council of State Governments, which works within the uh, Office of Disability Employment Policy, or ODEP, within the, within the I think, the U.S. Department of Labor. But ODEP um, has that CSG seed program, which tried to have each state create a model, a state model employer program. Okay. And so um, that is something that one of their suggestions that the states have a state tax credit. Mm -hmm. So. That's where that came from. Um, and I've heard that employment in the community is on the rise since uh, um, COVID happened. Um, and we, we want to keep that steam going on. Uh, right. We want people with disabilities to live the American dream. Mm -hmm. And you need a job to live the uh, American dream because it costs money. Um, and you have more choices when it's your own money. And, of course, another law that we're thinking about for next year, perhaps, it's called Exton's Law, which will prohibit discrimination against people with disabilities uh, in, uh, in transplants, in organ donation. Oh, you mean to say that there are current um, discriminations that if you have a disability, you're less likely to receive? That's correct. Uh, maybe a kidney or anything like right. that. Um, how did that come to light, that there is discrimination there? I'm not really sure. I think that... Uh, Somebody was probably denied a, kid, a kidney transplant or no type of transplant because yeah. they didn't think their quality of life was that good or they weren't going to live that long because they had a disability. So mm -hmm. that's speculation on my part, but I, I, probably the way that it came about. Yeah, no, that's, that's hurtful to hear that. Um, there are a number of things this past legislative session that we just talked about, and you mentioned some of them may not have passed. So, and I think this is important that, you know, if you're looking to change legislation, 
Um, you may not get it on your first time, but this is a journey. You have to, you know, if you want to get an act passed or um, a bill passed, you have to be sponsored. You have to get a sponsor at the legislative level. And if you could talk a little bit about how that process works. Sure. And, and remember that we're living in a democracy and uh, in a democracy change is incremental or one step at a time. We don't have a dictator that says you got to do this and you're going to do it right now. So the legislative process, you have to come up with an idea for legislation. You go to your legislator, which you can go to that Alabama legislature website and enter in your zip code and it'll tell you who your legislators are. Mm -hmm. And I'm talking at the state level. There's also, you know, we have a Congress, U.S. Congress, but today we're kind of focusing right now on state legislation. So you would go to that legislator and say, look, here's the problem. We think this legislation would address that issue. Can you help us? And, and they have the legislative uh, fiscal office or the legislative uh, reference service, and I think they combine those, and they help legislators draft legislation. And you're going to get grilled by your by your uh, representative. They're going to want to know every aspect of the bill or the act that you're trying to pass. Um, so you can't just go in there uh, and give them a sentence. You have to have documentation. It has to be very well thought out. Well, when you meet with a legislator, and the best place to meet with a legislator is not in Montgomery, because mm. there's a lot of lobbyists. And those lobbyists have the ear of the legislator. If you want to be successful legislator, meet with them in the home office. As my, uh, one of my mentors, Steve Schiffer, used to tell me, that's what we call good home cooking. <laughs> you go to the home office and you realize, and they realize that you're an actual, you actually vote for them. You meet with them right there and you say, yes, I live here, I'm in your district. So you meet with them one-on-one, -on -one, but you come prepared. You don't, you don't start talking about a whole bunch of ideas. You, you, you make sure, you're straight on the point. You don't, don't have a lot of extra verbiage going on. You get right to the point. And if you don't know the answer to a question, never lie. Mm -hmm. that, your credibility's online. If you want to be successful and work with legislators, always tell the truth, don't exaggerate. If you don't know the answer, say, I'll get back to you. Let me research that. One of the things that I really enjoyed, um, we're involved in the Partners in Policy Making Alabama, and we do the technical side there. One of the classes, one of the weekends, um, they had an opportunity to pitch um, some acts and laws to legislators. Um, and I thought that was a really cool thing to get to practice that. So even if somebody is looking for someone to bounce ideas off of, could they contact you and say, Dr. Sisson, I'm going to approach my local legislator. I'm unsure of how this sounds. I would like some feedback. Sure, absolutely. We're, I'm from the government, but I really am here to help you. Mm -hmm. yeah. Everybody that works for Governor Ivy is here to help you. I tell that to people that get a little bit frustrated if they can't find answers. I say everybody that works in this community, everybody that serves you, they wake up wanting to do their best job, but sometimes they get bogged down a little bit. So give them the benefit of the doubt, keep keep going um, and reaching out, but nobody wakes up and wants to do a disservice to people that they serve. Oh, absolutely. And it's about building relationships. You've probably heard that before. Build relationships. Sometimes don't always go to your legislator or ask him for something. Sometimes you might go to, uh, to when they hold a town hall meeting, go to the town hall meeting and just listen to them and introduce yourself to them. 
And then later on, when you need something, say, yes, uh, Representative, Senator, do you remember when I met you at the town hall meeting? And they, they probably will remember you. I mean, legislators are good about remembering people, and uh, that's part of their business. And that's and, re relationship building. I know as, as I get older, sometimes it, it gets a little harder to meet friends. It's not like in high school where you can just meet them all the time, but you have to put in the work there to build that relationship. Absolutely, and, and legislators are people. They're nice people. I mean, I've had very favorable uh, interaction with legislators over the year because they want to help people. They want good legislation. I mean, part of their job is not only to enact laws, but it's also to defeat bad legislation too. Mm. I mean, there's a lot of bad legislation that gets out there that people do not think of the unintended consequences. So when you're a legislator, you're thinking, okay, what effect is this piece of legislation gonna have? Yeah. You know, sometimes they have unintended consequences that are, are devastating. So it's, you don't wanna be the legislator that passed a bad piece of legislation that then harmed another group down the, in the future. It's a very systems thinking um, in that if you change one part of the system, it's definitely going to affect in some way, shape, or form another part of the system. It's not a static a bill that's just being passed. It's going to affect money that may be given to another area in the state um, or anything along those lines. So there, there is a give and a take there. And I like that you point out that just because something's passed doesn't mean it's going to be there forever. Um, that it can be changed and you can continue to modify it as you realize the impact that it has on the whole system there. Right. So good. That's, that brings to mind another le legislative advocacy tip. Sometimes you don't put everything into a piece of legislation. You do it piece by piece. And I can give you an example of that. Please. Uh, accessible parking. Uh, we, we, our first piece of legislation said we're going to solve every problem with accessible parking. But the more stuff you put in a piece of legislation, the easier it's for it to be defeated because the legislators say, wait a minute, I disagree with that, so I'm going to have to vote against it. But if you say, okay, the only thing we're asking for is, we're asking for is the mandatory fine on the sign, the shell to become a may, because that was keeping a lot of tickets from being uh, prosecuted on accessible parking because it didn't have the minimum fine posted. Mm -hmm. And I don't think the original intent of the law was that. The original intent was if you have the fine on there, people will be less likely to legally park there. But what happened in future, uh, when, when the law became effective, is that people were, were disregarding the fine on the sign. And then when it didn't have the fine on the sign, they used that as a technicality to get out of paying the ticket. That they didn't know there was gonna be a fine, or they didn't know how much it was. Yeah, that's frustrating. And I, uh, it doesn't save you speeding. If you're <laughs> yeah. speeding down the road, there's no sign saying what the ticket for speeding. Speed is. limit 50 miles an right. hour. Sir, I was going 80 because I didn't know I was going to get a $300 ticket. Right, exactly. So, and I'm speaking, of course, very um, theoretically and hypothetically because I don't get tickets. Yeah, I'm very careful. I I, I, be, I try to be a good uh, citizen on the road. I try and about 10 mile an hour over if I'm on 
65 going down to, to Mobile or something like that. I'll hit like 80. Uh, knock on wood, it's been a long time since I've had a ticket. Um, but I think that's a really important point is don't say too much that people can nitpick at where it's just going to get bogged down in bureaucracy and everyone's going to say, no, I don't like that word there or those types of things. Right to the point, keep it clean and simple. It's more likely to get passed. And even if it doesn't get passed this year, don't give up. Keep working. I'll, well, most things don't get passed in their first year. Oh, most don't get passed in the second and third year. Sometimes it takes three to five years mm -hmm. to pass legislation, even yeah. on something that is very simple. That legislation to get that language requiring the minimum fine, that took us almost five years to get that passed. Really? It's simple. It didn't have any. One thing they also do on every legislation is a fiscal note. And the fiscal note is basically saying what the cost impact of the legislation is going to be. Some don't have a cost impact. The removing the minimum fine requirement on the sign didn't really cost the state any money to do that. So, and um, the the government has a uh, they will help you find that fiscal um, note. Correct. You don't have to yeah. come up with that on your no, own. You, no. They will help. That's you with the that. the legislative reference service slash slash legislative fiscal office mm -hmm. will come up with that yes and i think that that's important because you may not know all the implications of the finances but don't be scared to reach out because that's they'll help you there are services there that will help you there are things you don't know about that that they'll help you um right put in the bill and sometimes less legislative fiscal note can kill a bill really yeah it's just well let me give an money. example you said okay let's eliminate that tax mm -hmm. well that tax funds let's say let education and that the funding for education would go down by so much, which would cause proration. Um, and that could be seen as, a, I know that before I came to Alabama, some reimbursement rates in the disability community were prorated um, for so like personal care, those types of things mm -hmm. went down at some point because there just wasn't the funding for it. Uh, and that affects a lot of people. It's a trickle down thing because if the reimbursement rates go down, then the salaries of the caregivers and everybody serving the individual go down. Um, and it never works out when you lower somebody's salary. They, they, well, they go elsewhere. And, and with legislation, just to, to reiterate, the race belongs to the slow and not the swift necessarily. Mm. You, know, you have to have good, constant, consistent advocacy efforts. The tortoise, not the hare. Right. And of course, the, um, I'll give you another example. Legislation took a while is getting ABA therapy covered by insurance. That's been a little controversial, the ABA. Um, I've mm. heard some individuals say they love it. Some families say it's made a great difference. Others, when they grow up, they say it had uh, a little bit of a negative effect on them. But um, I think for the families and for the individuals that it really does well with, uh, I think it's a great thing. We had Mitchell's place on a couple of weeks ago and Hannah did an interview with them and that was the topic, uh, the ABA therapy. And she reached out because that was something I was like, well, this is kind of a controversial thing. I don't know if we want to bring it up. Um, and she reached out to the community and there were a number of families and individuals that stepped up and said it was a great thing for us. Um, yeah, it, like most things in the disability community, it's very individualized. Mm -hmm. One size doesn't fit all. Mm -hmm. But you were talking about that legislation there. Uh, the ABA got funded through insurance there? Well, you know, insurance funds a lot of different things. A lot of times they were not funding ABA therapy. Gotcha. So the idea was to get insurance companies to add that to the list of covered services. Mm -hmm.
Now, what are some things that uh, Governor Ivey would like to see or hear from the community? Well, I can't speak for her directly on that, but I think she relies on my office to get her that information. So what I would say, if you have concerns and you're a person with a disability, you can contact the governor's office on disability. We have a website, www.goodgood.alabamaspelledout.gov. Our phone numbers are listed on that website. Um, and if you call, we, d we don't, when you call our phone number, it doesn't say, if you need this, press one. Okay, if you need this, press two. We don't give you a whole menu that goes up to eight or nine choices. We're like the old fashioned, you know, when you ring it, somebody will pick up the line on the other end and say hello right away. You don't have to go through one of those phone trees. I always just go representative, representative, zero, 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 until somebody picks up because I, you'll be on there for hours, but you, you get somebody at the end of the line when you call um, governor's office on disability. That's right. That's right. Um, so if you have concerns, some of these concerns, um, are they, what, what are examples of concerns that have come to your office? Well, uh, one example would be somebody had a, had a concern that a particular business didn't have accessible parking. Mm. Or a concern was that whether or not the state would pay for a certain type of service. Or a concern was, I need this, I'm not, nobody's contacting me from this agency. How, who's the person I need to contact? And so we, we try to be an intermediary. Yeah. And, but I always remember, and this is true in all cases, there's always two sides to every story. And so I don't, I don't rush to judgment. And uh, I'm here to help people, but I'm also a straight shooter. I will tell somebody the truth. I will tell somebody ex exactly what I'm thinking in a diplomatic way to try to help them get what they need. Um. And uh, do you ever get people with concerns from the education system? Yes. So it, it can be at any age of concern? Yes. Okay. We cover all ages of disability in the governor's office on disability. Okay. Um, there's a little bit of internet there. We're still recording, um, but there may be a little bit of lag for the online. Uh, we're going to continue. What are some... Uh, what are some additional things that you've spoken with uh, Governor Ivey about in currently? What's kind of on the table right now? Well, I would say that, you know, uh, it, one thing is employment of people with disabilities. And, and of course, the, one of Governor Ivey's, you know, main focus are jobs. Mm -hmm. So that's and, kind of still the big... So it's still a big thing. Jobs, full employment, you know, you know everybody who... You know, we're trying to help people get jobs, and that includes people with disabilities. And uh, there's a new community waiver, uh, the community waiver program that I, as I understand, has a lot of employment opportunity in that new waiver. And that's for individuals that are currently on the waiting list to receive services. So there's a big push um, financially to, to help individuals go through that training, whether that's through ADRS, folk rehab, um, and, and get the opportunity to enjoy the life that they want, like you said, and that includes having employment, mm -hmm. um, feeling good about the place that you work at, feeling good that you're producing, uh, and being a, a, a good person um, in society and giving back. Right. You know, one of the first questions that people ask when you become an adult is, where do you work? It's the first question that always happens. Where do you work? What do you do you for You don't want to say, well, I live at home with, with somebody, or I, you know, I don't work. And 
people want to work because it, it measures a person and, and you're contributing and people want to be, you know, I heard somebody say, you know, I'm glad I paid taxes because that means I'm making money. It's a privilege to pay tax. Right. You're making money. You're contributing. So mm -hmm. your, your share. Now, I don't always agree with how the taxes are spent, but that's why you vote. That will help. Well, that's a whole nother issue, Alex. <laughs> <laughs> but but I can tell you that I think the uh, I think uh, having worked for state government in Alabama for a number of years, I feel confident that that we are good stewards of state tax dollars. I like that word steward. Um, that goes on a lot of mission statements, family statements. Um, and in fact, I read a book. It was. Um, you know, kind of a generational wealth thing of you always hear shirtless to shirtless in three generations. So how do you continue um, passing down those traits, those values? And it says you got to be a good steward. Uh, a lot of that, um, what you're passing down isn't, you know, the things, the money, the, it's the values. Uh, you have work to, ethic. Work, yep. Um, what are outside of Alabama, what are some exciting things that are happening at the federal level, at the country level in um, disability? Well, I think one thing, since we're talking about legislation, so I'll try to keep, and everybody said that I got too far off topic here, okay? Yeah. Uh, one thing that, if you're a wheelchair user, and you try to fly on an airplane, it's mm -hmm. an ordeal. You know, wheelchairs are broken, people are dropped, helping them get on the airplane, the little aisle chairs can't be found. If you can't walk up the steps, to get in an airplane, you know, or sometimes you have a jetway, but you still can't in a chair get on the airplane and move around. There, the Air Carriers Access Act of 1986 needs amending. It needs updating. So there's a legislation, uh, HR 1696 and Senate 642, the Air Carriers Access Amendments Act, and this bill would expand the provisions of the original law, that which prohibit discrimination against. Uh, people with disabilities by an air carrier. And it, and it lists the certain actions that an air carrier uh, must take or may not take respect to a person with a disability. It also requires the Federal Department of Transportation to ensure that individuals traveling air transportation are able to file complaints mm -hmm. with the Department of Transportation. In other words, there's a private right of action. Right now you got um, the, uh, the, uh, the, the dispute resolution officers of the airlines that you go through. Okay, so and I don't if, know if they go straight to federal court, but this would allow, I think, you to go have a private right of action, which is something that was needed. But then also is making the airplanes themselves more accessible. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of uh, research being done on that. If I could just wheel up on an airplane, lock my chair down, never have to get out of my wheelchair. You know, getting on and off airplane where they got to go find your wheelchair, everybody else is already off the plane, you're left s sitting on an airplane. Mm -hmm. So this legislation is fairly significant. Um, and of course, um, the Disability Access to Transportation Act. In survey after survey in Alabama, among people of all types of disabilities, transportation is often the number one unmet need. Mm. This would this would expand, uh, I guess, funding for transportation at the federal level. And then again, the Disability Employment Incentive Act is another one. This this would uh, expand the work opportunity tr uh, tax credit to include Social Security uh, 
disability insurance benefit recipients, um, increase the work opportunity credit for vocational rehabilitation referrals, qualified Social Security supplemental income recipients, uh, and of course, they would expand the disabled access credit. A lot of times, employers have to spend money in reasonably accommodating uh, people with disabilities. We talked about interpreters earlier. Mm -hmm. That costs employers money to pay for that. They could get a, a tax credit for that. Okay. Uh, uh, or a tax deduction for expenditures to remove. It would expend the amount that you claim for a deduction or a tax credit. So a lot of the things going on at the federal level is what we're seeing here in Alabama too is transportation and employment. Um, mm -hmm. Speaking of the airplanes, and ideally, what would that look like? Would it look like a ballpark where there's not a seat there? That's the technology. Or I've seen some picture diagram where there's a seat there, but it slides over on top of the other seats. Oh, okay. And creates a space. Yeah. And then when nobody's using it, those seats slide back. Yeah. So there's technology. It's out there. Yeah. But there's things they're trying to measure, like the uh, the G-force. Can a wheelchair withstand G-force pressures? Yeah. Gravitational force. And actually, the research shown that wheelchairs are probably even sturdier than the seats that people are sitting in. Okay? Really? <laughs> now, would it be? I know that some transportation vans um, have kind of like lockdowns uh, that you can. Lock it would them. have the lockdowns for wheelchairs. Yes. Okay. All right. Um, that seems like a nice fix for an airplane because it wouldn't be that you'd have to widen anything, but you could actually make that difference in a plane that's already built. Uh, you could do a few rows and you wouldn't have to, you know, put in an order for 10 years down the line for Boeing to make new planes. Well, and again, we hope that we get standards in place for new airplanes so that they're made accessible. Mm. Because as you know, what makes people with disabilities have disabilities are the barriers out there. You remove the barriers, guess what? People with disabilities can get around just like anybody else. Yeah. In airplanes, getting through the door is another issue. And most airplane doors are wide enough for somebody in a chair to get through. It's once you get in the airplane, you can't, some of the ways are a little narrow, but they, I think that can be fixed, but they're trying to come up with standards. The Access Board, which is the federal entity that makes or promulgates the standards for accessibility, they're holding public hearings. And um, they're like, if you walk downtown Birmingham, the buildings there have to be accessible under ADA, correct? Well, and again, remember, I'm an attorney also, so the best answer to that is, it depends. Okay. If it's a new building, it was built after January 26, 1992 on the Americans with Disabilities Act, yes, they should be accessible. Okay. We know a lot of the buildings downtown were built before that, okay? Yeah. So they're required to make changes that are uh, readily achievable, which means easily accomplishable without much difficulty or expense. Okay. Putting an elevator is not readily achievable in the existing building. Okay, yeah, I didn't think of that. So you could relocate. So the that's why I gave you the best answer <laughs> to any ADA question is it depends, okay? But yes, a lot of them would be accessible. And the ADA has made an impact on that. 
Yeah, and I think you know any new building after 1992 was a huge step in that direction because it sets at the forefront. If you're going to do new construction, they have to be accessible. And I've heard that there's a big push for new developments, housing developments, that there should be at least a number or every house that has wider, wider frames, uh, but making it accessible for everybody. I, th well, I think it would be really cool, even with like planes, a certain number of new builds, uh, you know, or uh, all new builds have to be like this. I would like to even go better than that, okay? I'd like to use something called universal design. Yep. Where you don't build it, you build it where everybody can use it, okay? Including housing. But we do have something in the city of Birmingham called a visitability ordinance, which requires housing built with state and local funds to be visitable. And visitable means one no-step entrance, at least 32 inch wide doors on the ground floor huh. and accessible bathroom on the ground floor because there's something else there's something called aging in place yes that you should be able to live in your home now if you built a three-story house and you put the master bedroom up on third floor and you don't have an elevator guess what and you're paralyzed or you have a stroke you can't stay in the house anymore. You're probably going to have to be moved. But if you build a house that's visible, you can age in place. You yeah. can stay in your house. Physical barriers will not keep you from continuing to live there. My grandparents needed to do that. They put in stair lifts in their house so they could get up and down. Um, mm -hmm. But, you know, they had to make some modifications, uh, a lot of modifications. And it cost a little bit of money, but it was definitely cheaper than them having to purchase a whole new house or go into kind of a nursing home or anything like that. But guess what? If you built it accessible to begin with, yep. it would almost cost nothing. Mm -hmm. you, yeah. know, it cost, you know, when they talk about new buildings, and I've heard of this figure, it may not be totally accurate, but it does state a truth that it's less than 1% than of the total cost of building to include accessible features. Say that again. It's less than 1% of the total cost of the building to include accessible features from the beginning. Mm -hmm. And all buildings that are built with federal money have to have... Well, all that visitability ordinance in the city of Birmingham, the only city. in Birmingham, okay. that are built with state or local money are required to be visible. Now, when you talk about federal money, there's the Architectural Barriers Act in 1968. The Architectural Barriers Act says that money's built with fed, that buildings built with federal money must be accessible. They have to comply with the Architectural Barriers Act standards. Gotcha. Or what's called the UFAS, Uniform Federal Accessibility Standard. And I think that kind of brings together why legislation is so important, that things like these didn't just happen out of nowhere. Um, they took years to get through. Uh, they mm -hmm. took a lot of support to get through, um, but they, they end up benefiting everybody involved. Um, and it leads us more to that universal design concept uh, where it's at the beginning of pl the planning process, you have these ideas up front here. Um, I'd like to highlight once again, the upcoming May elections, it is May 24th. And I was on the website last night. Um, this is not uh, just your local elections. This is uh, primaries for the governor, primaries for a number of things uh, here in the state. But um, can you give an overview of what's up on the t on May 24th? Well, I can give you a general overview. It won't be totally exact, but, but you mentioned the governor's race, okay? The primaries for the governor, but 
There's also primary for state legislators and state representatives. And I think there's going to be one constitutional amendment on there, and it has to do something with uh, state parks. Okay. If I'm correct. Yes. So you'll have an opportunity to vote on state parks in this upcoming? Well, I think there's going to be something uh, with the use of the money. I don't have the legislation, the, the amendment in front of me, but something. And some people just say, well, I'm not going to vote on amendment, but uh, look at those amendments because they're important. And do a little bit of research if you have time ahead of time, because I'm going to do a little bit of research on that. Do some research on it. Yes. I didn't know that there was an amendment that was going to be on this election. Yes. Uh, and state parks, I love state parks. I think that was one of the best things America. I've, I've Alabama has some great state parks. I've talked yeah, to some awesome state parks. And it, a lot of it's accessible year round here because it doesn't get too cold and doesn't get, well, it does get pretty hot, but... Um, but I've heard others from outside of the United States say one of the best things they love about coming to America is the state parks and the preservation of land that we have. Yeah, and our national parks. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Speaking of uh, others not from uh, the United States, I've also heard that the United States actually does very well with ADA compliance, that in a lot of cities in Europe, um, a lot of older towns, that it's very hard to get around and it's not very accessible. Well, depends on where you go. That's yeah. another, it depends, okay? I went to Scotland. That's some great accessibility, actually. Because one thing you have to remember, they had a lot of veterans with disabilities after all those world wars. Yeah. And so they've actually included, now some of the older buildings, you know, uh, might not be as accessible, but um, I was able to get to a lot of good places in Scotland, even to Stirling Castle. I'm not where, uh, you know, uh, Braveheart. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I went up in Sterling Castle. Really? Now, a couple places were pretty steep, but I had a little bit of help. But I was actually in the castle looking at the tapestries and everything. It was a pretty awesome experience. Um, you like Braveheart? Oh, yeah. I have Scottish ancestry. Okay. The Grahams. That's my clan, the Grahams. Um, we actually had a Montrose. What is a Montrose? It's like royalty. Really? So we're speaking. I'm speaking with royalty right now. No, I'm not. But <laughs> I had ancestor, maybe that was. But I went to the USFL game, which is the new football um, league here in yes. Birmingham, and I was speaking with somebody that had a kilt on, um, and he was telling me a little bit about his clan and how the the kilt color can go with the clan kind of thing. Is it's a lot of stuff that I didn't know there. Yeah, I'll show you the the uh, the the clan gram, but we have a really nice uh, tart. Yeah. I've been thinking my grandmother's blue said, and green and it has a subtle white stripe in it. So Okay. Do you own a kilt? I don't, but I've got a shirt that has the the exact pattern of our tartan on it. That's pretty cool. And I have a small piece of the of the of the cloth that I got from Scotland. That's really cool. I'll just show you my, my uh I've got a I've got a room in my house with some of my stuff from uh, Scotland. And I really need to take you up on that. You've invited me over for some woodworking. Yes, and I'm telling I, you that I, that I really that need offer to take still you. stands. I really I'm, I'm going to. I say that and and I and haven't. I need yet. a helper, so I'm gonna, you're gonna have to help me on some things. Okay? <laughs> well, I, what are you are you building something right now? Uh, I've got some projects that I'm working on, and uh, and one I'm gonna build some wooden mallets. Okay. Because a lot of times when you when you put boards together you need a wooden mallet that won't mar the the wood that you're working with yeah and i'm gonna build some tables 
Okay. That extra set of hands, you know. Yeah. I was thinking about it last night, um, thinking about today and the woodworking. I was like, it'd be really cool. I know you've built chess before. Yes. Um, I think it'd be cool. And you've done the rounded tops, kind of like the treasure chest. That's correct. You know, on the Titanic, you know why they use the rounded tops? So that you said, is it so people wouldn't put it luggage on top? Yeah, the rich people didn't want anybody else putting stuff on top of their stuff. Yep. So they made rounded tops. (laughs) (laughs) I think uh, I've been thinking about getting it. you know, reaching out to you and the woodworking and building a chest. I would like a level one though, not a rounded. Hey, top. I've got I've, I've got tons of level ones that I built too. You can see those. Yeah, cedar line too. I'm doing it. I'm going to take you up on this eventually. Um, just a little bit about the impact. If we could speak a little bit about the impact that legislators have on our lives, uh, day in and day out, that people may mm-hmm. not think about. Well, and I would say the the legislators are there to pass laws that make our lives better. Mm. And and they pass laws based upon input they get from constituents. And people with disabilities are the largest minority. They're a large constituency, but they need to make themselves heard in a good way. Why do you think that they're the most underrepresented? Well, I think because there's transportation issues, Mm -hmm. there's communication barrier issues, there's the fear of legislators sometimes. Because I feel like um, many times it's the most powerful story. Oh, yeah. And legislators, I mean, they've helped a lot of people with disabilities. Mm -hmm. They've helped with a lot of issues, but they need the information. They need the input. Um, I think if... uh you know, you have an issue that's going on and you're uh, able to show up to the legislator's home office. That's a very powerful thing. Um, And like you said, you need your voice to be heard. You can't be nervous about reaching out. You're not gonna get it right every time on the first try. It's one of those things you learn by doing. I can give you all these rules today, but until you do it yourself, it may not be the perfect the first time, but the more you do, the better you'll become. Something that Mr. Tim Alexander mentioned yesterday is uh, when he's speaking with his um, the student athletes that he coaches, it's not always about the why. Some people get hooked up in the why am I doing this and they can kind of sit at their desk for a long time. And his first thing is, what are you doing today? What first thing are you doing to start that process? The why will always be in the background. It'll come to you, but you have to start that first process. What are you doing right now? What's the next step? Just do it. Just do it, yeah. Like the Nike commercial. It's one of the it. best slogans ever. Um, And then let's speak on the importance of voting. A lot of people feel like I'm not going to vote. My vote doesn't matter. Um, You know, it doesn't make a difference. It's only one person. You kind of spoke on this a little bit earlier. Well, every vote matters. And if you don't vote, then you could be voting against your own interest by not voting. Something might pass or somebody could get elected that doesn't follow what you believe, by not voting, you're depriving yourself of the opportunity to have your views followed. You know, and I think individuals don't realize when they give up the right to vote. They don't have a say. They don't have a say. Um, And it's amazing that, you know, we'll sit for 
couple hours a night watching a TV show or watching a movie, but we won't spend an hour getting to know who we're actually going to vote for. We may have one person that we're like, yes, I want to vote for this person, but there's 10 other races going on underneath that. And then just mark off whatever you want because you're uninformed or you may not vote at all. So you need to take that hour and really do some research into, you know, who these individuals are, um, what they represent, go to their websites, follow their social media, see where they are. I actually had a uh, representative that's running for the Hoover um, and McCullough and uh, it wasn't Pelham, but in that area, Lee Holsey, she was going around my neighborhood, knocking on doors, introducing herself. And, uh, you know, I said, hey, I have some questions. We're, we're, we're big on disability here in this house. How do you feel about these things? Um, and she had some really good answers. Um, she was familiar with some things. Um, and, uh, but I think you need to ask those questions. You need to reach out to them and spend it. You know, it's worth the four hours that you might be watching a movie to actually do your research and be informed about who you're voting on. It's one of the most important things you can do in a democracy. Absolutely. And I think if we don't educate and inform and make aware, then things will never get better. You're, you're, you're going to, You'll be part of the process, part of the solution, and not the problem. Mm -hmm. And many people think, once again, that their vote doesn't count, but that their voice doesn't mean anything. Maybe they've had people where they express themselves and they don't feel heard, um, or they don't think that what they're doing is going to make a difference. So I'd like to talk a little bit about, you know, somebody might be saying, can me talking with my local representative make a difference and how, how do I make sure it doesn't fall in just deaf ears and that they're actually going to be actionable things there? Well, I mean, you come to a meeting prepared, mm. you have a concise message. You do your research before you meet. And again, don't be afraid not to have every answer. Because they may ask you something that you totally were not prepared, but that doesn't mean that you can't do a follow-up. Yeah. That you can't say, look, okay, I'd love to meet with you further. Let me do some research. Can we meet on another time? Um, that's the fear, is that you won't have the answer to every question. Seldom does anybody have the answer to every question. And you never want to be dishonest. That's what I, I emphasized before. So, uh, and I think, once you meet with somebody the first time, you're going to find that it's not that bad. You got to get over that first time, though. Got to get over that first time. It's the fear of the unknown. And you should, you should I think you would go into it thinking, okay, this person is going to be in this um, spot for you know two years, four years. So I'm going to look at this as building a relationship over these next few years. Um, and following up gives you a good opportunity to go back and, and reinform. I don't know that. Let me get back with you. I'd love to meet again next month. That kind of thing. Definitely. And also, there's that term, uh, the squeaky wheel gets the oil. So you do need to be vocal. If you're not vocal and your voice isn't being heard, then they don't know. They don't live your life. Uh, they don't know everything that you, you need or your community needs. They need you to be vocal about that. Right. The only thing I would say, you could be vocal, but make sure you're also a diplomat. Is there a, um, Don't make demands. Yes. Don't go in there pointing fingers. Right. And, and remember, there's always two sides to every story. Uh, and make sure the things that you're talking about, that you can back up what you're requesting. I mean, that sounds simplistic, but 
if you go in there into that meeting unprepared, you know, I don't think you're going to get what you need. Yeah, you're going to be kind of, oh, okay, whatever. You know. Whatever. Or if you're just, if you're, you don't want to just approach them with complaints, offer some solutions. You know, the squeaky wheel, just be careful about that, getting the oil or the grease. Um, if you're just squeaking all the time and there's no point other than you're just a complainer, yeah. <laughs> don't, you know, this is not like, I like to say a wine and cheese party here, okay? Yeah. All right. Keep the whining down. <laughs> you know, be, be positive, be proactive. I can't overemphasize being positive. Mm. You know, you have needs out there, the le legitimate needs. Do the research. Be prepared to state what you need and how you think that could be accomplished. Yeah. I love that point that you're, you have to have the solution or you're just complaining. You have to go through the work, get creative. Right. And you can go to other states and see what other states have done. Now, I don't think everything California is going to be a good idea in Alabama. Okay. That might be a quick way to get something defeated. Say, well, this is what they do in California. <laughs> Nothing against California. Okay. But we, we took other states like Louisiana. We have an, uh, an assistive devices uh, warranty law that we based on one out of Louisiana. We didn't use everything Louisiana did, but we took some of the best pieces of that law and got the same law implemented in Alabama. It's kind of like a lemon law for assistive devices. Um, where uh, insurance will cover it if it falters over time? Not insurance, but uh, the device manufacturer. The device manufacturer has to guarantee that over time it will replace. Well, you have certain, if you bought a lemon law, uh, if you bought a lemon in a car, a vehicle, uh -huh. You would have a year to bring it back, get them to fix the non-conforming defect. Yeah. And, um, and the same thing would apply to assisted devices um, or could apply to assisted devices. And so that would be anybody that's a manufacturer of assistive technology knowing that in Alabama they have to guarantee that warranty. Yeah. Yeah. That's a pretty cool thing. I like that. Um, we talked a little bit about building relationships with representatives over time. Um, and then how about the importance of legislative advocacy in general? Well, I think you have to have a presence. And sometimes people will go down there and have these rallies on the steps of the state house. Mm -hmm. That's where the legislature meets. Uh, just to have visibility and have a presence. You know, you don't want to be out of sight, out of mind. You want to be seen as, as, a, as a group that has legitimate needs, that, uh, that, that's reasonable. Um, and it depends on the need. I mean, sometimes it takes, you know, there's different advocacy approaches. And uh, Bob Kafka, who's a well-known disability rights advocate from the, all going all the way back to the 70s, he said the pitchfork approach. And think of the tines on a pitchfork as each a different way of advocacy. For me, I work within the system. I'm not revolutionary, okay? I'm not gonna chain myself to buses. I'm not gonna you know, throw myself in front of a, a bus or something, or I'm not gonna crawl up the steps you know, of anything, but I'm gonna work within the system. Mm -hmm. But some people work outside of the system and they do those other things. 
And I'm not saying that's good or bad, that's just another style of advocacy. So mm. find the style of advocacy that works for you. Um, and you mentioned a group of people being on the state steps there. And I think it's important that if those opportunities arise, you can't just belt out a bunch of different things. It needs to be one unified voice <clears throat> for that interaction. And you can meet up with them further. But mm -hmm. if people are getting bombarded by 10 different ideas at once, they're not going to remember anything. It has to be a unified voice by that group of people that are saying, this is, mm -hmm. this is why we're here. This is what we're asking for. You know, we want to well, hear your side of it. Well, I read the, the Judy uh, Human book called Being Human. Mm -hmm. And she was one of the original disability advocates. And uh, she was talking about getting the, the federal government to do the regulations for the Rehabilitation Act. And, and they did sit-ins. They took over federal buildings. And, and she's uh, hailed as one of the, as you said, original um, advocates. And, yeah, uh, it, it's a really good book. It gives a, it gives a history of the disability advocacy mo movement. I if you want to read about advocacy, I, I mean, I'm not, I'm, I'm not uh, endorsing her book, but it is very informative and it was very interesting. It told a pretty compelling story. So I've reached out to her on her personal webpage to see if she would be open to a broadcast, but I haven't heard anything. She's huge. You know, I'm sure she does a, a lot of things, but I've reached out, um, heard her name a few times and McCartney, um, who you've met before. Um, she is one, one of Judy's, one of her heroes. And so I reached out to her on behalf of McCartney, wondering if she would do a broadcast with McCartney. I'm going to continue to do that. So McCartney, if you see this, I'm still working on that for you. Well, you know, if you don't ask, nothing happens, right? Yeah, exactly. The worst thing to say is no, and mm -hmm. then you move on. Um, I 100% agree with there, and I hope she says yes, and I hope we have that opportunity here in Alabama. As we kind of come to a close today, is there anything that we haven't talked about that, um, you know, on federal state legislation that individuals and families and others would benefit from hearing? Well, sometimes you can go to groups that are what I would call outside experts ask for help mm -hmm. in trying to draft something. And I know I'll give you an example of a group that very successfully got uh, legislation to bring greater awareness of epilepsy in the school system. Okay. You know, and, and then had like safe, had legislation that helped, you know, teach teachers about working with people with epilepsy. And that was definitely a, gra a grassroots kind of campaign. And they were able to get legislation passed. What did that legislation look like? Was it a mandate that teachers in their continuing education? Well, and it, and it would be, it was kind of a, maybe a mandate. I don't, I don't remember all the details of it, but it, uh, but it helped, um, it helped make them aware of what to do if somebody had a seizure at school. Yeah. You know, not to get all upset about it, not to, you know, a lot of times people will call an ambulance and an ambulance come pick them up you know, bring them in there. And all they needed was a few minutes kind of settle down and mm -hmm. they knew what steps to take. Well, guess who gets foot, gets hit with the ambulance bill? Yeah. That person that had the seizure and they didn't really need to go to the emergency room. They didn't need that bill. Um, so bring great awareness on what the correct response is and how to help somebody. I remember when I was first around someone that had a seizure, it was 
I froze up. I didn't know what to do. I wanted to help, but I didn't know what to do. Um, and that person's mom was there and she was like, everybody just calm down and I'll kind of walk everybody through the process for her daughter. Um, but yeah, I, I probably would have called, you know, for an ambulance or something like that. Cause I was unaware of what, what was going mm -hmm. on. Um, and you mentioned that that was started off as a grassroots movement. Yeah. And it was an advocacy group in that area, mm. the Epilepsy Foundation of Alabama. Uh, and they were successful, but they, they found a, you need to find yourself a champion in the legislature. And a lot of times that could be your own legislator, mm -hmm. finding a champion. And do some research on all the legislators to see who maybe has similar experiences in their life, mm -hmm. um, who's passionate about uh, what you're passionate about. Well, and there's a lot of legislators, like the rest of the population, that have some direct connection to disability. They might have a family member. Mm -hmm. They might have a, you know, a, uh, a mother or father. Yeah. A niece or nephew, somebody that has a disability. Yep. Yeah, so if you're going in and you want some housing uh, legislation to pass for universal design accessibility, you may look for legislators that have an, an aging parent, like you said, and they're going through the process of renovating that home or having to make a decision to purchase a new home for them or nursing home. That's going to be on the forefront of their mind. It's, they're going to be like, yeah, I get it. I'll sponsor this bill. Uh, but you need to do your research there. Well, Dr. Uh, Susan, I, I want to say thank you once again for oh, my pleasure, spending the Alex. morning with us here today and informing us about legislation here in Alabama. I feel like it's, um, you know, before our conversations and my research, I didn't really know much. Um, so it's, it's nice to get to learn that. And I hope everybody else is, is coming along in that process as well. So. Sure. Well, I mean, I would say uh, take a deep breath, um, do your research. And remember, uh, legislators are there to help and, and be positive. Don't make demands. Uh, build relationships. Mm -hmm. Meet them in the, on their home turf. And get out and start it today. And, and register. If you're not registered to vote, register to vote. Um, speaking of that, are there any cutoffs that are coming up for like mail-in ballots or anything? I before? don't know what that is, but I think what you could do is go to your go to your county's website, yeah. look under registrar, and then call the registrar's office, and they can give you the the cutoff deadlines. Um, we are doing a broadcast tomorrow with ADAP and Nikki Watkins. Uh, McCartney Hagar is doing that one, and um, I think there's still time to do mail-in ballots because we would have scheduled it to be earlier if it wasn't. Um, but there's still time if you haven't done that yet. So tune in tomorrow, and at that point, we'll go ahead and say. Um, Thank you once again, and we'll each give our cameras a respective wave, and we will say see you guys tomorrow. Tune in for the voting rights.